Okay, hi friends, and welcome back to House Wine. Uh, I am the host. My name is Rachel. I'm in Toronto. I'm in my little pillow fort uh, recording this podcast once again. It's very hot and sweaty in this pillow fort. Uh, I have a glass of Pinot Grigio with me left over from a, a tasting I did uh, earlier this week uh, because it is hot. Oh my gosh, it's so hot. It's been very hard for me to get the motivation to sit down and record lately because it's just been so hot. It's like the last thing I want to do is wrap my desk in a bunch of sheets and sit in this little little makeshift sound booth that I have. But we're doing it, and today uh, we are going to talk about not a wine. It's not a wine. In the lead-up to doing research on this episode, I was like, yes, we're going to do cognac. You know, uh, it's going to be great. And in my mind, forever, forever and ever and ever, since I started studying wine, I have always just sort of thought of cognac as a wine and as part of like the wine family. So much so that uh, the book that I use the most as a resource for this show, uh, in terms of fact-checking, etc., is The Oxford Companion to Wine by the one and only Jancis Robinson, 4th edition. And I went to look at the entry for Cognac to see what it had to say before I wrote this episode. And I was flipping through the C-section and I was like, okay, we've got, you know, Charente region, uh, Corgoloin, we've got Chima Corgo, which is in Portugal. We've got all these entries and I'm, you know, nearing where I think Cognac should be. And then I'm past where I think Cognac should be. And I realized that in the Oxford Companion to Wine, there is no entry for cognac. Why? Because it's the Oxford Companion to Wine, and cognac is not a wine. Which, of course, made me question myself, even though I had been planning on doing this episode for some time, because I was like, if it doesn't even have an entry in the Oxford Companion to Wine... Should cognac even have its own episode on house wine? Where does it fit? And then I remembered that this is my show and I can write and talk about whatever I want. I don't have to strictly follow the guidelines of what Jancis Robinson has already written about. So seeing as this is not a wine, it's possible I will not get as many downloads, but uh, I can still talk about whatever I want to. And so today we are going to talk about cognac. It's always been a wine in my mind or a wine product in my mind because it is made from wine. So it does fit. So there was this meme uh, going around a little bit at the beginning of COVID. And it was sort of this like quarantine meme. And it was sort of like it was one of those Twitter screen grabs. Uh, and it went, you can only call it quarantine if it's from the Courant region in France. If not... It's just sparkling isolation. Of course, being a wine person, I thought that this was hilarious, and I sent it to everyone I knew, and I got it sent to me a few times because, you know, uh, if you're a long-time listener of this show, I think this is episode, this is going to be episode 32, which is crazy. But if you've been listening for some time, then you'll know uh, that of all the appellations in France, uh, or all appellations in France are very controlled, and they're very contained, and you can really only call things... Uh, from that appellation, the name that they are if they come from there. So hence why champagne can only be from champagne. And I thought about this little meme immediately when I sat down to write this episode on cognac because 
That is exactly what is happening here. What do you call a cognac that is not made in the region of cognac? Well, you just call it brandy. And I think that uh, not a lot of people maybe know that the same way that a lot of people, you know, maybe don't know that you can get French sparkling wine from outside Champagne and that it's just called Cremant, uh, something you already know if you've been listening to this show. Uh, which pretty much makes sense. Cognac is the champagne of brandies, though I don't think you can legally say that without someone in uh, the champagne office filing a copyright lawsuit or their little like ding, ding, ding alarm bells going off. But I said it here. Let's hope I don't get sued. So if you take away the distillation process, everything about cognac is very much wine-like, including the region that it's from where they also grow wine, and it's also very similar to the way that they age wine. And look, it's, like I said, made out of grapes, so it counts, okay? (laughs) So let's start where we always start, and that is with history. Distillation itself, or the history of distillation, is something that we could do a whole episode on, Uh, mostly because the reason is when I started looking into it, I found out that it is super cool from a nerd point of view. Uh, But I'm not going to get into the whole history of distillation here. I will say, though, that for the most part of history, or the history of distillation, whereby you take an alcohol that has been fermented, heat it until the alcohol itself becomes vaporous, and then cool it so that vapor is turned back into a liquid, but with higher alcoholic strength. This process was invented by an alchemist, who lived in the first century, named Mary the Jewess. She was a woman, uh, sometimes also called Maria the Prophetess. And I wasn't joking when I said that the history of distillation was crazy cool. Uh, She actually invented the still, the same kind of still, mind the pun, that they still use in cognac today, and that's called the alambic still. And I'm sure you know uh, what it looks like. It's sort of this copper pot with funnels at the top. That almost looks like the sort of the head hose of the copper pot bends over. They kind of look like giant, like these really huge neti pots. And they're the traditional way of distilling many things, but they are legally required in the making of cognac. Even though obviously now there are many ways to make distillate. Lots of appellations have legally mandated methods of production for their distillates that are usually rooted in the traditions of the area. So really hearkening back to (laughs) the most ancient ways of making distillate is the way that they do it in cognac. And there are some uh, other very specific rules here too. After the fermented grape juice is distilled, it must be aged in French oak barrel for a minimum of two years, meaning the most entry-level cognac even has still seen a pretty good amount of barrel age. More than that though, the wood for these barrels must come from limousine, or Tronquet. These are small little towns within Cognac, and it's a serious business. Coopers will go out into the forest with certain producers and pick trees long before the tree is ever ready to be cut down, sometimes 20 to 30 years in advance. The tree will be marked and reserved for certain producers. Much like a sweet wine, this is a process-driven beverage, and it gets into the same kind of depth as something along the lines of, say, port or sherry or Madeira, where you have regions, you have grapes, and then you have classifications that can all go towards making these wines or these cognacs unique and different. But more than that, there are aging requirements. 
aging requirements, which when we start to talk about spirits or eau de vies, are very much linked to the final price of the finished product. Think of it this way. If your product that you need to sell to make money needs 20 years to be ready for the market, that means that the product is not making you money for the 20 years that it is aging in barrel. The same idea applies to scotch, for example, or say to Frascara Madeira, which we talked about last week, which ages for more than 20 years. At some time in the life of that beverage, the money that was spent aging it and storing it for that long will have to be recouped, and that is why we see sort of this general increase in price the longer that something has aged at the winery or the distillery (laughs) that it was made at. Okay, so let's go through the process that they use to make cognac. And we'll also talk about the grapes that they use here too. I know we were going to talk about history. I kind of talked about the history of this still, but cognac, like most eau de vies, is not in its commercial practice very old. It kind of became famous when the Dutch drained the canals of Bordeaux. They sort of set up the cognac business and then it went from there. So cognac and Bordeaux, the histories are very linked. So if you'd like to hear more about the history of Bordeaux and the Charente region, uh, listen to my episode on the Medoc. So cognac is made out of wine. It is technically an eau de vie, which means that it is made from a fruit as opposed to a grain, which is the case for most spirits like scotches, ryes, and whiskeys. There are certain grapes that they use to make the wines that will eventually be distilled into cognac, and the most popular one is called Uni Blanc, which they have another name for in Italy, and they call Trebbiano Toscana. It's a pretty neutral white grape that makes wines that are not really particularly high in anything. Really like moderate acid, moderate alcohol, and pretty moderate in flavorness. Flavorness? <laughs> Flavorfulness. Also, they use the grape called Full Blanche, which we've talked about a little bit uh, in the episode on the Pays Nantes in the Loire Valley. And they also use a grape called Colombard. These are the three main grapes, but it is not limited to these. You can also use Semillon in the blend, as well as some much lesser-known grapes like Select, Jurançon Blanc, and Montils. But these are by no means famous or widely planted grapes, really anywhere outside the southwest of France. The grapes are pressed and left to ferment with wild yeasts only for two to three weeks. No sugar additives can be added to the wine to make it stronger. They usually end their fermentation around 8% alcohol before they are distilled. Once they've made the base wine, it gets double distilled in those alembic copper pots. It must be copper stills, as is the AOC regulation, until it is at 70% ABV, at which point that 70% alcohol is put into barrel for aging. They do not dilute the alcohol for the aging process, Rather, it ages at the higher ABV and then is diluted once it is bottled to be 40% ABV. That's alcohol by volume. Though cognac can be slightly higher, uh, it usually kind of hovers around 40 and 40 is the absolute minimum by law. So what about aging cognac? Well, this is where things get a little bit complicated because cognac, as in most places in France, they do not like to put the age on the bottle. That would just be too simple. Instead, they have these little codes that if you know the code on the bottle, then you know how long 
the cognac was aged for. Cognacs that are called VS or very special are aged for a minimum of two years. And this is the annoying part. VS cognacs can also be denoted using other terms. They can be denoted by three little stars on the label. They can also be called deluxe cognacs, grand choix cognacs, or surchois cognacs. Usually, I think most producers now have sort of figured out that VS or the three star is the most uh, accessible of the um, of the labeling terms. But I always remember this by VS is just two letters, and it's aged for two years. Then you have Superior Cognac, which is a minimum of three years old. And then you have VO or VSOP. VO stands for very old and VSOP stands for very special old pale. And those are a minimum of four years old. Then you move up the ranks. You have VVSOP and Grand Reserve. Those mean the exact same thing. Those are a minimum of five years old. Again, I like it when they say VVSOP because five letters, five years. I'm also loving how this episode on cognac is French, and I can say all the words again. Side note. But VVSOP, again, I like that designation because five letters, five years old. Then we move to Napoleon. Napoleon sometimes can also be called Trévieux or Vieille Réserve. Those ones are a minimum of six years old. So not a lot of good ways to remember that. If you can just remember that it's after VVSOP, Napoleon is six years. Then you have XO, which is a minimum of 10 years old. And then you have XXO, which is a minimum of 14 years old. So there's lots of aging designations here. Cognac is, cognac is a lot. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot. It can be a lot to digest. Each grade of cognac is blended so that the age of the cognac is the least old cognac in the blend. So for example, a bottle of exo cognac, which we know now is 10 years old, the minimum age of the cognac is also 10 years, but there may be older cognacs in the blend. Every cognac house has a master blender called the maître du chai, or the master of the chai, who is responsible for making cognac blends in the house style so that each cognac house has a uniform taste. This is kind of similar to the way that they make non-vintage champagnes, where there is a house style, and even though it is a blend of different vintages and parcels of land, a bottle of Bollinger is always going to taste like a bottle of Bollinger. Now, not every house chooses to blend. There are some houses, like Moyer, for example, who do not blend their cognac, and that make cognacs that are derived from smaller and more site-specific parcels of land and vintages. But in general, the way that it is done is through blending. Even more of an exception to the aging requirements, though, for cognac, there are some extreme aging practices that go far, far beyond what is covered by the laws of cognac AOC. I'm pretty sure that the first time that I sort of recognized cognac as a beverage itself, not as like a name brand like Curvassier or Hennessy in a song, was when I watched 
uh, the movie Cocktail with Tom Cruise, which really, if you haven't seen it, is a must-see. It's uh, part of kind of like that set of movies that came out. A lot of them had Tom Cruise in them in the early 90s and, and late 80s, where it was just like some young white man <laughs> moves from the country to the city and then is like inexplicably good at everything. Like kid from a small town, no experience, soon becomes the best at that thing. And Cocktail is really about this small town kid, moves to Manhattan, of course, and then becomes the best bartender, not just in Manhattan, but in the world, which is not a thing. It's not a thing. Sure, there are famous bartenders and there's famous sommeliers for that matter, but uh, not like in the movie Cocktail. Like you don't get like private jets and like (laughs) yachts and stuff. It's next level. Anyways, spoiler alert, The mentor who teaches Tom Cruise how to bartend in the movie Cocktail uh, makes him buy a bottle of the Remy Martin Louis XIII cognac. That same mentor ends up breaking the bottle and then using it to kill himself with, which is extremely dramatic, making the whole moral of the movie Cocktail is that, you know, can fame and money as a bartender really buy happiness? Uh, It's all very dramatic, but also very 80s. and I'll. Pull back from this being a movie review podcast uh, and back to Cognac. But Cocktail was a formative movie for me. I watched it uh, on the recommendation of a friend right after I finished bartending school, like a person who had been conned into taking a bartending course. And I also wanted to be the best bartender in the world. You know, I like learned flair bartending and all that. But way before I ever got into wine, I remembered that Louis Martin or sorry, I remembered that Remy Martin, Louis XIII cognac. Why? Because it was the best and most expensive cognac in the world. And the maitre du chai at Remy Martin will only ever make a small amount of this cognac when he feels that the cognacs are at the place they need to be in their aging process to make it. So it doesn't happen very often. And more than that, the youngest cognac that is permitted to be in the blend of the bottling of Louis XIII is 100 years old. So unlike wine, which is often described as a living thing, spirits are not really. They do have a lifespan of sorts, and they can spoil if they are reduced, uh, not closed properly, or stored near heat, but the lifespan is way longer than wine which is why you can still have cognacs that are aging after 100 years. However, after a certain point, using an oak vessel for aging is no longer beneficial. Oak will lose its ability to give flavor over time and become sort of a a neutral or inert vessel. But also, the angel's share of 100 years in oak wouldn't leave very much product to work with. So after about 10 or sometimes 20 years, These very old cognacs finish their aging in large glass carboys. And this is an extreme example of how houses can produce special cuvées and even cognacs that have seen extended aging that are outside the general rules of cognac production. Louis XIII is the most famous example as it has had such a presence in popular culture, not only in the movie Cocktail, of course, but there is both a song which was recorded by Pharrell, 
and a movie that was made by Robert Rodriguez and John Malkovich that are set to come out in the years 2117 and 2115, respectively. Stay with me. (laughs) To commemorate the time in which it takes to make such a cognac. They are aptly named The Song You Will Never Hear and The Movie You Will Never See because they are set to be released with the 2117 and the 2115 releases of Louis XIII Cognac, which is wild. Like, just digest that for a second. It's, yeah, it's crazy. So more than just being 100 years old, though, Louis XIII is exclusively made from a certain region in Cognac, because more than just all the aging requirements— and which kind of wood and which kind of grapes you are allowed to use. In cognac, there are also subregions, which add just another layer onto the complexity of this already highly complex eau de vie. Then, to make it even more confusing, the subregions of cognac share a name with another titan of French luxury, Champagne, though they are not in any way affiliated and Champagne is not allowed to sue them for using their name because it's also their cultural property. It's a whole thing. So, the region of Cognac itself is located just north of Bordeaux in the southwest of France. The whole region is called Cognac, and it flanks the sides of the Charente River. Within Cognac, though, you have subzones, which have been divided based on their specific geological structures— They are not all equal, and some of them are reserved for only the best and most age-worthy cognacs, and some are better suited for cognacs that are meant to be consumed younger, and that's good because not all cognacs can be 100 years old. If the subzone of cognac is designated on the label, then 100% of the grapes that are used to make that cognac must be from that specific subzone. For example, again, we're going to use Louis XIII because uh, we're already talking about it. it. has to be made from grapes that were sourced from the Grand Champagne subregion. And it does say that on the label. The two most prestigious subzones are Grand Champagne and Petit Champagne. And it is easy to remember because Champagne is luxury and these are the best cognacs. These are the limestone and chalk soils where the cognac grapes grow best. And both of these regions are in the very center of cognac. You can actually blend Grand and Petit Champagne together to make a cognac. And when you do, on the label you write, fine champagne. The smallest of the subzones is called Borderie. And this is clay and flint soils. It's right up, right beside Grand Champagne, right in the very middle of cognac. Creating a ring around those zones is a zone called Finboise, and around that is a zone called Bonboise. That's directly translated to fine wood or fine wood and good wood, because uh, they're all about the wood in cognac. These are larger zones uh, that are used for making some of the younger, more bulk cognacs that age a little faster and have a little less typicity than the zones right in the center. Then there's just one more zone, the one that reaches up to the coast just above the Gironde estuary, and that is called Bois Ordinaire, so ordinary wood. (laughs) Again, similar to Bombois, 
it is for sort of less uh, age-worthy, more commercial cognacs. There are four main producers of cognac, and they are owned by some of the very large and very familiar companies that produce alcohol all over the world. And they're the brand names that people tend to recognize the most. Hennessy, which is owned by LVMH, the company that also owns Moet Chandon and Louis Vuitton. They pretty much have a complete monopoly on luxury goods in France. I think they also own Hermes, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and a bunch of Bordeaux houses and a bunch more champagne houses. They own basically everything that tastes good and looks good. There's also Courvoisier, uh, which is owned by the Japanese company Beam Suntory, who also bring us Sapporo beer. You have Martel, that's owned by Pernod Ricard, another titan of French alcohol production. And then there's Remy Martin, uh, which is owned by its own parent company, but that also owns a lot, a lot of other stuff. But if you look a little further than the main four, there are some smaller producers like Hein or Moyer that might be a little bit more niche or a bit more sort of small batch. But that's not to say that these four companies at the top are not making good cognac. The thing about spirits and spirit distillation is that smaller doesn't always mean better. There is good cognac really at all levels. And I would argue that the same is true for wine (laughs) and uh, all beverage, but the trend these days is kind of like smaller is better. But that's just my opinion. And uh, I think that's it. That's cognac in a hot 25-minute nutshell. So I would say to get your hands on some really luxury cognac, but I'm not going to say that because it's very expensive and very hard to come by. But you know what? If uh, this heat breaks and you want to have a nice night in, maybe get yourself, um, you know, a nice uh, sipping bottle of cognac, maybe some Hein VSOP and uh, sit down and watch the movie Cocktail. But before you do, take a minute to scroll down, rate and review this podcast because uh, it means a lot to me. Uh, If you're enjoying what I'm doing, if you're enjoying learning about wine, and if you're enjoying learning about not wine, which is cognac, then uh, give it five stars, leave a review. If you did notice anything that's out of place, if you want to correct me on uh, a previous episode's mispronunciations of Italian, then you can hit this podcast up at housewinepodcast at gmail.com. You can also find uh, our Instagram or the Housewine Podcast Instagram, which is just housewinepodcast on Instagram. I post lots of fun maps there. I'm going to do a map of cognac this week. And you can find me on my personal Instagram as well if you're just desperate to get a hold of me. My name is Rachel. Uh, that's with an A-E-L. And last name is Picard, like the captain. I hope you drink something delicious and I hope you keep learning this week. And I'll see you next week, friends. Okay, bye. Bye.